Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, and that Technicolor rainbow in between. We are the Too Late Update podcast. We are the Too Late Update podcast. We are the only podcast that uh, forgets what it's called, miss stumbles over the word, and then immediately repeats what it's just said uh, without cutting it out. Most podcasts would have cut that out for you know quality purposes, but we don't. We like to leave that in as a little treat. It's a for weird. You. It's a weird version of ASMR. It's because there's other podcasts are pussies. I mean, my, uh, th- thank you for that. My other my other channel is basically uh, just Fat Man Stumbles Over Word, million subscribers, and just filthy messages is all I get. <laughs> um, today, we will be diving into the sordid, disgusting past of October of 1999. Um but I, I I forgot to mention I'm here with a uh, Kevin Jones and a Chris Hodgkinson. I forgot to mention that part. I, I think people know by now, but you know it's still good to at least Hello. at least credit Hello. you. <laughs> <laughs> One week he's just going to be Matt speaking to himself, and we're not going to be there. Yeah, that's that, that's that's on the list of potential bonus didn't, episodes. Did we accidentally do an episode where that happened? Or the other way around, yeah. Around, yeah. The yeah. and me having a mental breakdown. Yeah, the lost episode, effectively. Okay, the lost audio. Indeed. So, uh, yeah. So October nineteen ninety nine. Hodge, are you going to take us through some of the news? Sure. So, throughout October, the UK government distributed to all households a booklet concerning the year two thousand problem, entitled "What Everyone Should Know About the Millennium Bug." Can I just say? I, I I recently, just before watching this, watched uh, Where the Wind Blows or When the Wind Blows. Have you seen that about the two Which old about the two old people who died from nuclear fallout? Oh no! But I read the book for oh, the yeah. first time about a month or two ago, yeah. based on you two talking about it. Yeah, and it's um, I, I mean, it's sorry, Kev, what were you going to say? I know of it. Isn't it really bleak? It's 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 charming but bleak. It's it's written by the same bloke who wrote The Snowman and Father Blooming Christmas. And the one thing that's very apparent in it is that there's a lot of piss take of the government kind of advice of, uh, you know, you know, sort of duck and cover, like take your doors off and create a shelter. Also, make sure that you keep all your doors closed. Those are two separate things. (laughs) Mutually exclusive goals. Yeah, exactly. Um, And and I just wonder how many of uh, how many of the things in uh, in this booklet were like that. Well. Uh, I looked this up, and you can too, on the Internet Archive, where they have this booklet digitised for all eternity. And it's... I mean, I, I kind of pictured this as <laughs> in my head as like a children's guide to the Y2K with, you know, like, smiling children and a friendly Y2K bug. It's not like that. It's actually, it's actually like, pretty decent, to be fair. It's um, lots of um, examples of fiction and facts, like fiction... We all need to buy an extra food just in case. I mean, that they could have reused this one more recently. Yeah, they could. Or uh, fiction: you should always dial nine 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 when you want to contact the police. And then the thick fact is: no, dialing nine 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 where there is no real emergency means occupying a line when someone is in immediate danger. So it's yeah, it's it's all it's not a, not a bad little booklet. It's twenty four pages. Yeah. Okay. I've had I've had I've had worse freebies come through my door. I've got to be honest. Yeah. I mean, one of the useful things about having a dog is that they tend to shred those. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, if they did that, that was all right. 
On the 1st of October, one for Kev, the Rugby World Cup begins in the Millennium Stadium, Cardiff. Yay! We got it, we got it open just in time. <laughs> Skin of your Welsh teeth. Well, but not, y- yeah, not well, you, I you're not really Welsh. Was like, You'll never be one Wembley of them, was, never be one of them. Wembley was two years late, so it's pretty good to get it open. I mean, I mean, also the Millennium yeah. Stadium has a roof, which is better. I don't yeah. understand why you'd make stadiums now without a roof if you can. If you can make a stadium yeah, with a, a roof. Point. I don't know why. Not you... many, not many actually have a roof. It's quite unique. There's there's a few in America that are domes and yeah. roofs, but permanent. Um, I think it's one of the few that has a retractable roof. I mean, some of them have been built for a very long time, so that's understandable. But I'm saying I don't understand why yeah. you build a new one without one now. That's the thing. Dome! Dome. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a good good question. Um, travel back in time and ask the planner of Wembley. Or maybe you can ask them now. They're probably still alive. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, you probably maybe, who it was. maybe the bloke patented the roof idea, and you could only get it if you, if you spent them extra money. <laughs> well, Wembley costs like seven times the amount of the Millennium Stadium as well, so it's, it, it not only was more expensive, it, it lacked the roof. Yeah, but that was because everyone went, ooh, government contract, we don't actually have to do any work, we just sit here and wait, and then they go, why haven't you done any work? And we go, government contract. That was the... Oh. Yeah, oh, I, when... think, I think the Millennium would have been built by the government. Yeah, it's got you there, Wim. Uh, yeah, um, I, th- I think there was a you have to get it built by this point. Yes, this is the, the Millennium. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they probably had better contracts in place. Yeah, fifth of October, the Lady Brook Grave. Oh, crap, I can't say. It. That was a bad slip of a tongue. The Ladybroke Grove Rail Crash claims the lives of 31 people when two trains collide at Ladybroke Grove Junction, two miles west of Paddington Station. Many more people are being treated in hospital for injuries. Also on the 5th of October, Harold Shipman goes on trial at Preston Crown Court, accused of murdering 15 female patients who died in the Greater Manchester area between 1995 and 1998. So, quick quick aside, just it's just so the interesting thing about the Harold Shipman case is how boring it is. So, I I, I listen to um a couple of true crime things where they talk about, you know, serial killers and UFOs and stuff like that. But when they go to talk about Harold Shipman, they're like there is nothing there. It is, you know, it's like it's it it's it's not interesting. It's there's not a lot of psychology behind it. He was just, you know, kind of mainly in it for the money that he got them to leave him, and he used an incredibly boring way of of killing them, which is, you know, um, the the lethal injection, effectively, which is kind of interesting because his numbers are up there. His numbers are at the tippy top of actual serial killers, but his story is very dull, basically. There we go. I didn't realise that. Yeah. Um, on the seventh of October. Donald Trump announces his 2000 presidential campaign on an episode of Larry King Live because of COVID. <laughs> no. Do you want to know a fun fact? Go on. I'm fairly sure he was announcing to be a Democrat president. He might well have been. Yeah, he 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 donated quite heavily to the Clintons. Oh, I didn't that either. We we I, I might be wrong on that. Um, let's yeah wonder if we could find that out. 
it's not like rich people to shift their allegiance to people who give them oh wait no it's that's that happens a lot sorry hodge you're right i'm letting kev fact check oh sorry fact check kevin's fact check fact check kevin fact check Fact check. I'm not cutting Fact this out. Check Kevin. <laughs> I'm not cutting. <laughs> this is the oh, other ASMR. <laughs> okay, I can't keep going. On the 10th of October, the London Eye begins to be lifted into position on the South Bank in London. All Londoners are upset, initially thinking it was going to look a bit like the Eye of Sauron, but in London. Are you, are you okay? Do you need? Yeah. Do you need? Do you need some? <laughs> I didn't realise we were going to be talking about Halo again so soon. With that reach. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in in the in the visual in my head was funnier. I mean, like yeah. the Eye of Sauron being hauled into place in London. I mean, yeah, that's a great visual, <laughs> but it also it doesn't translate work... well to a spoken word. I don't think it even works with the time frame because I don't think Lord of the Rings films had been released yet, so Sauron wouldn't have been in public knowledge, he'd have been in a very niche, esoteric group knowledge at this point. Oh, it just fails in oh. every level, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's just bad. I'm sorry, I don't mean to to, to, to destroy your, your jokes. But... No, no, it's fine. Destroy it with the fact checks. That's okay. <laughs> and also, just for reality check, that it wasn't very good. I'm sorry. I feel bad. Man. No, it's, it's fine. <laughs> On the 16th of October, 26 players are sent off in Premier League and Football League matches on the same day. Wow. The most dismissals on the same day in 111 years of league football in England. Fucking hell. That is a lot. Yeah, it is so a lot. Bear in, bear in mind nowadays, I don't think they all play at the same the same day. So that's probably this is this was probably peak time for it to happen in that they didn't <laughs> players didn't used to get sent off as True. much. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was wrong. Trump was the reform was going for the Reform Party nomination, but he lost to Pat Buchanan. Oh, okay. Third, third party thing. Yeah, and then they just obviously decided that they just make the Republican Party horrible. Yeah. Anyway, on the nineteenth October, Tracy Emin, who I keep wanting to read as Eminem, but isn't. It's Tracy yeah. Emin. Yep. Exhibits my bed at the Tate Gallery as one of the shortlisted works of the Turner Prize. And is a fucking chancer. <laughs> yeah, I think this was kind of the um, the beginning of the Turner Prize being regarded as, you know, kind of frivolous and only perpetrated by frauds, basically. Like, you just do a thing and you go, that's that's art, that is. And people go, okay. Did you, did you hear about the um, artist um, last week? No, it wasn't. No, it was a couple of years ago, sorry. Um, <coughs> my mistake. I'd heard about it the other week on a podcast, but it actually happened a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, so this guy, um, oh man, what was his name? The artist, so Jens Hanning, um, took $84,000 from a company to submit some artwork and then sent them a blank canvas and told them the title was Take the Money and Run. Right. And they still hang that up in their thing, I imagine. No, um, they took him, they tried to sue him for a breach of contract. <laughs> I mean. So eventually, eventually a court told him he had to repay the money, but could take expenses from it. Right. So he made some, um, out, I think he took some, made some outlandish um, claims on the expenses. Right, okay. <laughs> I thought that was great. 
It's a great title for a great piece of work. Cool. Yeah, it's it's, it's a problem with modern art. It's very hard to. Uh, it's like, what is it? Well, I, it's in, that's the thing with with art in general is that it's incredibly personable. Um, you know, with something like portrait and landscapes, you basically go, is that an accurate portrait or, you know, vision of that landscape? Mm. Yes or no? Gen in a in a big broad sense, you know, does it? And and you're looking at the the skill of the painter to recreate what they see visually. Um, more or less. Uh, in in modern art and expressionist art, it's you know completely subjective, and it is very much the definition yeah. of that one man's trash is another man's treasure. Well, I mean, all art is subjective, and I think with the with the portrait, you can you know it's not just are they photorealistic. It's like this is you know they different artists have different ways of painting things, and it that I, I think when it when you know it's like a, a sheep sword in half, then people are like well, I don't know what this is. Yeah. Yeah, visually interesting cool. over sheep sawn in half. Mm. Well, see, it's, this is all subjective. I like the bit in Spaced where um, Brian, he, he has an installation and it's like a, a, a blank room. Yeah. And he's try he doesn't he doesn't know what to do, he doesn't know what to do, and then he just falls off his ladder, gets hit in the head with a paint can and all the paint goes on him. Yeah. And everyone thinks it's brilliant. Yeah. Which uh, sort of sums up this era of art, I think. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that um, <laughs> the other one we've spoken about before, not on here, but I think in our group chats, about that robot arm that was always leaking hydraulic fluid and was constantly sweeping it back into itself to sustain itself. Yeah, the thing is, I could see the art in that. That's quite... Yeah. Yeah, uh, I think that's... I just feel, I feel sorry for the robot. I do, yeah. Yeah? <laughs> you've, you've, you create sympathy for... An, Inanimate, ob well, it's, it's animate, I suppose. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it, non sentient object. Yeah. Mm. In many ways, aren't we all just a robot arm leaking hydraulic fluid? A little bit. Well, that's what aging feels like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let the bits back in me, they're losing too many bits. <laughs> more organs equals more human. No, stay in there, organs. Daddy needs you. <laughs> uh, okay, speaking of subjective art, we'll move on to video games, and I think I'll start. Um, yeah, so my choice uh, for video games uh, this week is Dead or Alive 2 on the Dreamcast, which is an interesting game because it is an incredibly competently made 3D fighting game. Um, with some of the best, you know, fast-paced 3D combat since Virtua Fighter 2. But it also has bouncy, bouncy boobies! So what What attracted you to the game, Matt? Uh, I, mean, I mean, I've always known you as a very keen volleyball fan. I think that, that was the... That was a... <laughs> that was a spin-off, yeah. That was a spin-off of this. Uh, yeah. Of course it was. Um... I mean, genuinely, it was because it was a lot like Virtua Fighter, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, do you, it's almost a shame that this game has the bouncy, bouncy boobies, because mm -hmm. its actual core fighting mechanics are sound and really good, but it's like, I don't know, it's 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 you feel a bit like you're reading Playboy for the for the articles or something like that. It's like <laughs> you know what I mean. You, like you could protest as much as you like, but no one believes you. You know they're like, but but look at this. It's like yes, I know, but look, there is some good information here about how to trim that... your mustache. It's like no, that's that, that here's you know, the thing, Wayne. 
if me or Kev tried to claim we were playing Dead or Alive 2 because it was a solid fighting game, yeah. people would rightfully go chinny chin reckon. <laughs> That's right. However, yeah. Yeah. because, because <laughs> we know you are a big fighting game aficionado, but your story checks out. Yeah. I mean, you do have to weigh that against the fact that I am a colossal pervert as well, but still, it's different. <laughs> yeah, but you, your your kings are different. I mean, we'll, we'll go on yeah. to when when the when you bought a game, a game for king purposes at some point. <laughs> but it'll come up. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's I, usually to, it's usually to a cow. So, yeah. <laughs> but it's it's worth knowing that this is made by Team Ninja, who also make the Ninja Gaiden series. Um, and who also made Metroid Other M, and that was where people were a bit like, uh, that was the that was the game where Samus is like, don't use suit powers or obey men, and people mm. were a bit like, yeah. uh, you you could sort of see this team's sexual politics on display there. Um, but it, again, it's a bit of a shame because like tits and arse aside. Dead or Alive is a solid fighting game series, and I think it's one of those things where it's like you you need to drop this bullshit side of it of what because you won't be taken seriously because no one's no have, one wants to be no one wants to be the guy who plays dead or alive professionally because they'll just be like well you're just in it for the for the big swinging sweater melons have they made any dead or alive games recently uh the last one was dead or alive i want to say six or seven and that one was interesting because they put out a basic version for about 30 quid and then had like a hundred and twenty pounds worth of dlc yeah and everyone was like no no i don't think so no have they toned it down in there or has the industry grown up around them and they've stayed the same i think they very much stayed the same yeah Um, things growing up around them okay yeah i think that's 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 it really uh again it's like i say it's a huge shame um but this is it's actually a really fun fundamental fighter game and also there was a big uh, it's worth knowing there was a big sort of chunk of time where there wasn't a virtual fighter game, and virtual fighter is a very, you know, it feels different to something like Tekken, even though you might sort of look at them and think they're the same. Again, it feels different, and like there wasn't a a new virtual fighter game on the Dreamcast for a very long time, and this sort of filled the gap. And you know, it had its fans, but again, it was that sort of thing of well, you know, I, I'm sure, I'm sure it's great, but you know, I won't be seen in public with it. It's, it's you know, it's uh, <laughs> an interesting one. Um, good old Dead or Alive too. And then, of course, it's been, uh, it spawned the spin-off games of the uh, Dead or Alive uh, Beach Volleyball series, which, to be honest, is like, it, it feels a more honest version of what they were going for. <laughs> so, you know, there we go. And that's me done. Right, uh... Kev, what have you brought to the table? Um, yeah, I think I I don't know if I put this one or the sequel in my top ten PS One games. It's Medal of Honor. Yeah, um, which was a well done first person shooter on the PlayStation One, um, and was one. It was in a time before World War Two games were everywhere, which mm. was a case about <laughs> five years after this. It was probably the one that really popularised it. But yeah, I really loved this. I had uh, it sort of got me into first-person shooters really yeah um before that i'd own I, I i was always a console player so i did i think we had a pc i maybe played doom a couple of times but um yeah i really like this and um yeah very much like 
I, don't, I think similar to Goldeneye at the time is that it was a mixture of you would do shooty-shooty missions and then stealthy missions. Yeah. I think the stealth missions work pretty well. Um, mm. Like subsequent shooters, they make the stealth missions unbearable because it's like everyone can see you at all points. Whereas this is like, no, we'll make them playable because otherwise people will hate it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was really good. I remember uh, it was one of the first shooters where you sort of had to use cover that well, I played. You had to use cover correctly and hide and... The, a lot of the soldiers would have helmets on and you had to shoot the off helmet off before you could headshot them, which is quite cool that's for a, the PlayStation 1 as well. Um, that's a good mechanic. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah it, it's quite simple. In fact, you know, you, shoot, it, you have to shoot them in the head, the helmet comes off. Um, but for the, for the type, it's like, oh, well, this doesn't usually happen. It's usually just, they're either, there's just a certain amount of bullets they'll take. So, um, yeah. Are, are you aware of its pedigree as well, of... of kind of what so if you're not aware a lot of the people who worked on the original medal of honor games for playstation and then pc they actually broke away and formed a little studio you may have heard of called infinity ward oh, i've heard of them yeah they made they made um oh, i can't make a facetious joke but i can't actually think of anything else they've made uh <laughs> call of duty <laughs> i know yeah they made uh bubsy no yeah. Um, it was also though it was a uh, Spielberg uh, was behind the project. Yes. DreamWorks. Yeah. Yeah. Who um, and then they sold it to EA. But yeah, it was Spielberg had a bit of a passion project about it, following Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. Um, I think there was. I, I I think I had Medal of Honor Allied Assault on the PC, which was great, and it was very pretty. It was probably a couple of years after this where it was uh, on. That was the. Was that the one that came out on the PlayStation 2? Because, yeah, the yeah. first level on that is yeah. the start of Saving Private Ryan. It basically yeah. is, yeah, 100%. Yeah, you are. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah, really important game for the sort of shooter space. And it's kind of funny. You're right. There weren't a lot of World War II shooters before this. No. Um, and, um, I mean, not counting stuff like Wolfenstein, which is, you know, not, not the same. Um, and it kind of... Because, obviously, the N64 had Goldeneye and Perfect Dark, but it was kind of the shooter for the ps1 yes yeah yeah cool uh hodge what have you got for us uh when i was making my um doing my b52 singing earlier i'd forgotten i'd chosen this okay <laughs> uh so i chose for the dreamcast chef's love shack ah right did either of you ever play this no okay. i've forgotten it um, existed so I... until right now <laughs> I'm I'm, surpri I'm I'm surprised Kev hadn't because this would have been about the time I started to know you, Kev. Like I think somewhere we around. This, well, I think we met this month. Yeah, that's quite possible. So yeah, um, it would have been September, October. Um, I yeah. didn't have a Dreamcast, and I. No, well, no, it was on the N64 as well, but I had this on the Dreamcast. Um, so we used to play this quite a lot before going out, um, which we did frequently on a Thursday back at this time. In the um to the the local clubs that would let us in, fifty p a pint in trap in torch, yeah, watered down fosters, very sick, sorry, absolutely grim. Or yeah. the um, I mean, with hindsight, what I mean, I didn't like beer at the time, but that was grim. And we mm. also did a pound of tequila, wasn't it? Which was yeah, something like that. Also, awesome. a terrible mistake. Yeah, terrible, terrible mistake. The government was right to ban these sorts of things. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, so basically, Surf's Love Shack is a. It's not even like Mario Party. It's more like a four-player quiz show, 
where a chef poses questions to four boys and every now and again you get booted into a mini game. Um, where, uh, if I remember rightly, I looked up a bit, like I was counting, there's about 20 mini games. Um, including there's like a go-kart one where you're viewed from the top and you're racing round. There's um, a Simon Says with the four monkey where you've got to follow the pattern of Mr. Mackie slapping a monkey on the ass, which I believe was the one called Spank the Monkey. Of course. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's a um, Alien Probe mini game where you have to get the questions right or Cartman gets the anal probe. There was a, um, I mean, it's quite a good pun. But there's an as an, ast- an asteroids mini game starring Talents and Philip called Asteroids. Yeah, oh, of course. Oh. Yes. <laughs> I there's also a um a bad kitty mini game, which is just Donkey Kong, where you play as the ki- Cartman's kitty and Cartman is throwing bouncy balls down some stairs at you as you try to make your way to Cartman to scratch him. Right, of course right, okay. <laughs> so I with with hindsight, it wasn't actually very good, but it was quite a fun little um, drinking game before going out. Yeah, I I don't remember it as being particularly good. And looking at reviews, it definitely wasn't. It mo- mostly seems to get like fifties. <laughs> it was probably <laughs> I imagine it was competing with something like Mario Party at the time. Yeah, I don't think it matters. I think it's just I think it's like not enough quiz questions. Yeah, and it's quite American specific for quiz questions. It wasn't very well localized, but you know, for what it was, it was a fun, a fun little, little thing. And we won't get a chance to talk about Dreamcast games very often. No, same. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the the re- like. There's a window of time we could talk about yeah. Dreamcast games, and this happened to be it. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, and I think we've got an honourable mention this week as well, haven't we? Um, yeah. Well, the, probably the biggest release. This month was Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah. Which would be the hotly anticipated follow up to Final Fantasy VII, which was, you know, I think we covered it in our first episode, but it, it was revolutionary at the time. It got, it was the, like the mass market JRPG, um, one of the biggest games of that generation. Um, this was a weird follow up. Yeah. I, some people, including some close friends of ours, swear by this game. Mm-hmm. I think it has a lot of missteps. Yes. Yes. Um, and it's not so much. I don't. I, it's just little bits about the the systems. It's mostly systems that have the issues. In that there's okay. you rather than just being able to cast magic, you have to do something called drawing magic yeah. off enemies yeah. or random points in the game in order to cast magic spells. It, it sort of treats magic as if they're items that you steal or draw out of enemies, which is oh, a okay. very odd way and you also you junction magic to your stats and stuff so and the game's not also very good at explaining some of its systems so um i went through a very long time of this game and i was wondering why i'm not leveling up and why none of my powers are getting better and why i'm having to basically go through most of the game just summoning my gf not my girlfriend but that's what they call summons in this game over and over and over again like, and it turned out that it basically I wasn't supposed to be doing that. I was supposed to be junctioning things to my uh, my abilities and stuff like that. It is it is poorly explained. It is, yeah, it's um, it's also um, dynamic leveling, isn't it? So yeah. in other in other Final Fantasy games, you know, if you if you are having trouble on something, you can level up and yeah. you'll you know you'll be too powerful. 
Like it's grinding, it's annoying sometimes, but you know, it's an option. Um, in this game, things dynamically level, which is more what Western RPGs do a lot of the time, which yeah. I sometimes find it quite annoying. I do like going to an area where I over where I'm much higher level than things and thinking, this is nice. Yeah, because you can um, see how far <laughs> you've progressed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um and they getting the I getting the best armor and items, not not the best, but like decent armor and items in this game is really difficult as well. Yeah. You have to go and find stuff from enemies and they're quite rare to pop up and yeah. I also the dynamic leveling stops with the final bosses. Yeah. With the final area. So if you're not at hit a certain level to get them, you are fucked. Yeah. Basically. So like what do you do? It's it's yeah. Uh it's by no man by no means I I it's one of those. It's it's I think it's similar to Led like Zelda two. Yeah. Something like that. Some people love it, but it's definitely the black sheet I, I, of the Yeah, I, I would I would know. like to go back and try it again at some point. I think the other problem for me is I don't find the main character likable at all. I think he's a massive asshole. And because yeah. uh, he, he's he's basically like I want to say he's like an emo kid. He's not an emo kid. He's more like a he's a he's a jackass and he treats everyone around him like absolute shit the entire game. Like I'm like I'm super cool and I'm over this and it's like it it really pisses me off yeah. because it's it's like he's an unpleasant person to be around basically for a, for a 60 plus hour game. It's like yeah. I'm supposed to identify with you and I hate you. <laughs> it's like yeah. Um yeah. That's 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 they, a they me thing. A, yeah. Well, no, I agree. I think they they took the oh, uh, we like the moody protagonist thing from Cloud, and then made him even more moody. Yes. Yeah. As, uh, there we go. That's why the next the next Final Fantasy game, the protagonist is very very different. Yeah. And why it's a much better game. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Um, much better for a lot of reasons. But th- to be fair, there are some people that absolutely love this game, and I think I'm not sure why. Well, I, th- I think it's it, just one of those. Yeah, I think I think for some people, it's it's like they got on with the systems and they figured it out, yeah. and or they just love it because that was their, you know, um, yeah. whatever. I mean, that's fine. Uh, I just it, for me, it was like Final Fantasy VII was so good, and Final Fantasy VIII was like it was it was disappointing because it was like you were waiting for that, you know, that mm. next hit, and it was like this ain't it, this ain't it, fam. Um, yeah. Okay, so we'll we'll move on. Uh, music. Uh, Hodge, what have you got for music? Do you know what? I'm going to do some honorable mentions here because there's a few things I could have gone with this month. Okay. And I could have gone with um, Steps Spectacular, <laughs> if only for the name. Fair enough. But it's a bit shit. It's only got um, tragedy on it. Don't even remember the rest of the songs on this. Okay. That song I say that. So yeah, steps. How many step songs do you remember? And that's a cover anyway. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't remember any of these. So tragedy. That's probably it. Fourteen of the fourteen of this album. In general, how many step songs do you know? Oh, probably only like two or three. Right. They're probably all from the same album. Um I mean, I I could also have gone with S Club by S Club Seven. Were they going to Which, show you how? Well, Matt, interestingly, right, they were not going to show you how because ah. that is not on this album. Oh, I've got the wrong album. No, you haven't. That's part. That's the lyrics to S Club Party, isn't it? I don't know. 
I, I don't know. I, I will. I will guess. I, yes, maybe. I think. I think it is. All right. There ain't no party ain't, like a yeah. chess club party. Because I remember in school singing, "There's there ain't no party like a chess club party," but <laughs> which was true. Because a chess club party, everyone has to leave because Derek's had Coca Cola and his mum said he's not allowed. And he's got anal. Bees Co- Co- Matt is correct. The lyrics are "S Club." There ain't no party like an S Club party. Gonna show you how. Okay. Hey, yeah, yeah. Everybody get down tonight. S Club. S Club. There ain't no party like an S Club party. Gonna take you high. Shake your body from side to side. And it goes on. Um, but yeah, that's got that one on. And it's got um, Bring It All Back. Oh, yeah. Two in a Million, I think, is another one probably we all remember. Yeah, just about. All the other ones I don't remember. Um, could so have S Club all... 7 have got a song called Two in a Million. Yeah. It would be Seven in a Million. I mean, <laughs> I they, they should have thought about that. Clear. Yeah. Maybe maybe they did, and it was the source of a lot of infighting. Yeah. <laughs> That's why Rachel left. <laughs> they, yeah, they, ne- they never talk about the real reason they broke up originally, because now it just seems a bit petty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and embarrassing. <laughs> um,. I've also chosen um, "Hooray for Boobies" by the Bloodhound Gang, which is a bit of a a bit of a um, cheat. What's the phrase I want guilty guilty pleasure. What really oh, okay. cheat? I don't know. I was I, I was wondering what you were trying to say. Oh, so yeah, it would yeah. be it was, it's a bit of a guilty pleasure. It's I mean, let's be honest, it's quite it's quite it's very um, puerile, isn't it? That album. I mean, yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, but that's the time it was released. But what I thought was interesting, which I did not know, which is why I'm going into this in so much detail, is on the song Right Turn Clyde, it's got a chorus parodying Pink Floyd's Another Brick in the Wall. Right. Do you remember it? The bit which goes, all in all, just another dick with no balls. Right. But because of that, the album was delayed in the US. They couldn't clear it to use it. And it was eventually released in the US, but in Europe, they released it without that song. Oh, okay. Which I didn't realise. And this was also from the time of a thing which we don't really get anymore now, where there was like a whole load of blank tracks hiding the hidden track at the end. Oh, secret tracks. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it was a 47-track CD containing 18 tracks and a secret track. Yeah. So um, for... Any of our younger listeners, or anyone below the age of 90, um, what, when you had a CD, right, what we mean by secret tracks, there would be a track listing of, say, call it 12 tracks, right? But after track 12 was finished with, it wouldn't just, it, it wouldn't stop. It would keep going for, like, 45 minutes or something like that, depending on the, the thing. And then another it's song... about eight. Yeah. yeah, yeah, something like that. Sorry, I'm, I'm exaggerating probably. Yeah. And then another song would play. Or a skit. Yeah, it's almost like an encore or something for the album. And of course, you can't do that with digital media or anything anymore, really. But um, yeah, that was... Well, you can. You just... I, when they just have blank... It's just no noise and everyone just skips. Yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, you so some albums have tried it, haven't they? They've got like yeah. a track which is nothing for like five minutes, and then something kicks in, and because you've basically dozed off, it scares the shit out of you. <laughs> can't, can't do it on vinyl either. But then vinyl, I suppose you're you, you're limited by space, aren't you? Liter- as in literal physical space. 
Yeah, I mean, you'd see straight away. Yeah. And, but also, just yeah, if there's no grooves, it'll just go to the next mm. bit. So you'd, you'd be up the secret track within two seconds. Yeah. But, it was, it was, this was the, the short period in time where this kind of behavior was somehow allowed. Yeah. Cool. But, well, but, hang on. But you still haven't actually told us your pick yet, Hodge. No, I know. Sorry. Being a bit, <laughs> a bit greedy. Um, Obviously, I've chosen Bewitched by Bewitched. Of course you have. See, when I saw, because I, I know I was looking at the document earlier, you hadn't picked this. When when we picked the thing last week, it was like, I know what he's picking. And then when I saw that, I was like, how is he not picking this? This is his one, this is the one of the few times he can go on about it. <laughs> look, look, it's all right. Not everyone has got the capacity to fully appreciate how good this album is. And that's okay. No one judges you if you're one of those people. I mean, I do. I judge you a little bit. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> look, it's a... look, all these all these people can't be wrong. Look, it released four singles. Sailor V, Roller Coaster, To You I Belong, Blame on the Weatherman, all instant classics. Everybody, everybody worth talking to loves them. And do you know what? They all got to number one in the UK singles chart, proving that I'm right. <laughs> I mean, if you if you if you look at stuff on like what's the word I'm looking for, like a singles to like money made ratio, then Hodge is correct. <laughs> which you know, which it is it pains me a lot to say that. <laughs> but um, here we go. Look. It's fine. Hodge, what's, what's the, yeah. Hodge, how much of your reputation are you staking on this album? I don't really know what you mean. <laughs> well, so you, you've picked you picked the album with the singles you've just picked, have you? I mean, he has. I mean, he's bewitched picked the wrong by album. He's picked the wrong album. Yeah. Have I? No. Yeah. It's 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 a wake and breathe. The second album that was out this month. Oh bollocks! I don't know. That wasn't very clever, was it? No. But, but do you know what does work though quite well is this I mean this is good though because I've got to rant about one good album and I can say that this one does have that Awake and Breathe does have Jesse Hold On which is a better song than all the other ones I can't yeah. believe I can't believe that Bewitched have a album name that is very similar to a Slipknot track. I, I was thinking that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want I want that crossover to happen where Bewitched do a Slipknot song and Slipknot do Blame It on the Weatherman. <laughs> Make it happen, guys! Come on! I know you're avid listeners. I mean, I mean definitely. the thing is, though, this is. This this album though does does mark the beginning of a a, a, a sad time for us, us, us witches, as, yeah. as we call ourselves. The witches. <laughs> you call yourself a witch. The witches. 
I think that's something else, Arge. <laughs> Geralt of Rivia is all just coming to Cairn Morton with, uh oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh! This is oh, because as, 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 as you know, seminal as Jesse Hold On is, uh, unfortunately, it was a it, 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 it ushered in a change in musical style for the the <laughs> denim clad foursome, and as a result, still, he's still the, going. Um, um, the, 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 yeah, the singles didn't sell as well, the album didn't sell as well. And by the third single, it resulted in them being dropped oh, by wow. the record label. They, <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so it was quite a quite a, quite a spectacular fall so, off a cliff. Wasn't one of them like Ronan Keating's cousin or something like that? I honestly so, don't know the answer to that. Just, okay, just let's, let's move I, on. No, I want to go. Um, I want to go into this. So, which so the last album I checked because <laughs> I, w- I was fairly sure I'd seen this was it wasn't the original. Um, album uh, was released in 1998. They had four number one singles. They released year after, and that follow up doesn't do as well. But they're immediately dropped at that point. It's the Final yep. Fantasy VIII of albums. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. Well, that's the music industry. It's it's it's, it's a shit business, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, we we. I mean, let's like last week, right? We had a, a discussion about like. Oh, all the week before we had a discussion about like, oh, Foo Fighters album wasn't as good, so that like, but at least they're still like able to sort of keep going. Where it's like they, they have a bad album because it doesn't sell millions like their like yeah. their previous album did, and it's, it's like the EA effect, isn't it? Well, yeah, this didn't sell. You know, a horror. It only sold a lot of money, not a horrifying amount of money, and I therefore. Mean... Sure, surely it doesn't take a lot of money to make a Bewitched album. Um, they could have just got money by doing tours for the next five years. Kev, Kev, that, that sort of gold doesn't just fall out of trees. I mean, it does, but you've got to plant the trees, you've got to carefully curate them. I don't know what I'm, I don't know what I'm saying at this point. But I, I believe it was... Um, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Kev, because you'll remember... I, I believe it was my, my speaking of Jesse Hold On that led to that awkward yeah. moment at download we um we were in a so at download festival 2009 we we're waiting for the prodigy to come on right and um we were having a conversation about like the best songs of all time and hodge just suddenly went i think you'll find jesse hold on by bewitched is the best song of all time and this person in front of, in front of us just turned around and went what <laughs> <laughs> i love it when you meet people who have no sense of humor <laughs> well, I, I think he meant it fully, meaning it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, she was so unimpressed. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the look on her face was something to behold. Yeah, <laughs> Jesse, behold on. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the next, the next album was in two thousand fourteen. That is mad. Like, yeah. Oh. Wow. But look on the bright side. Now that we've spoken about both of the albums, you'll get to hear me repeat myself when the first one does come up eventually. Yeah, yeah. yeah we will. Um, <laughs> Kev, what's your al- what's your album? Um, yeah, this wasn't as good a month for me. I mean, there was obviously a lot of. Uh, I mean, maybe Bewitched should have released their album when the other two big pop 
bands of the time hadn't released their albums. But um, yeah. yeah, it wasn't it wasn't annoyingly. The month after is an absolute banger of a month. But um, so I went with Incubus, Make Yourself, um, because I gave this a listen earlier, and it's like, oh yeah, I used to like Incubus. Yeah, Incubus used to be good. This is this is um, probably the album of theirs I like. It's got Pardon Me on it. I prefer the I prefer the debut, Fair but this this was when Incubus were fully like they were thrown in with new metal. They're not really new metal, but it's because they've got all the scratches. Yeah, they've got that very sort of distinct sound. Um, but yeah, yeah, with sort of this like it's I'd probably say it's it's kind of like soft rock or alternative rock with sort of the new metal scratches. It's quite unique at this point, um, but they just slowly went into like american radio rock and mm. just lost all their personality and became boring um on about the fourth or fifth album then they just got worse and worse but their first three albums are good i again was surprised like oh i love this song this song's great yeah pardon me banger um yeah incubus used to be good everyone remember that yep uh yeah and i thoroughly enjoyed listening to the album again today yeah, it's good when you can do that. I don't think it's as good as the one that follows it either. I think Morning View's better as well. But um, yeah, no, no big shade on this at all. It's a, it's a really good album. Yeah, um, I think I think I've kind of got a, a similar story to you in terms of albums this weekend because I've got Showbiz by Muse, which is hmm, I'm not sure if it's their debut. I don't think it's their debut. Yeah, I think it is. Okay, but it's it's got a couple of good tracks on it. It's got Sunburn, Muscle Museum. And, you know, showbiz as well. And those are pretty good tracks, but it's also got some filler on it. But I think the you know it it is a decent album, and it sort of shows what they're possibly capable of. But then the next album they put out of is Origin of Symmetry, which is fucking amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. So when they released this album, everyone was like, "Oh, it's just a Radiohead clone." Yeah, it's just a Radiohead clone. It's just, and 
No. And it's like, well, A, that's not, it's probably, it, they share similarities with the Benz Radiohead. Yeah. Um, but that's not a bad starting point for the band. No. no. When you're talking about, oh, they're, they're using influence from one of the best bands that's ever played. Yeah. Especially like the 90s opinion of them. This, I, I, I think this is a great album, but it's just you know, it sort of, it sort of shows their potential, and then, like, say, Origin of Symmetry is just like, oh fucking hell, yeah. this is. I mean, that, that is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then it's it's almost it's funny because I'd say, uh, you know, we talk about three album runs. Um, Muse's three album runs are Origin of Symmetry, Black Holes of Revelations, and. Um... Absolution. No, it's no, it's absolute. Yeah, Obs- origin symmetry, absolution, and black holes and revelations. Yes, it is. Yeah. Yes, sorry, it's that. A- absolution is the. I think it's the gold standard. Those yeah. three, but you can make an argument for any of them. Yeah. Um. But yeah, Showbiz basically is is you know it's it's definitely there. Like you can see why they broke out with you know Sunburn and Muscle Museum. Brilliant. Yes, yeah, great songs. Yeah. yeah, they still play them sometimes, don't they? Yeah, Sunburn definitely. Hundred percent. Yeah. Um. Again, less well regarded these days, unfortunately, because of their sort of queen obsession has overtaken them a little bit. I think. Have you right? Well, have you heard the last two Muse albums? No, I, I heard tracks off them, and they were like, "Okay, well, this is this is fine, um, but it's a bit like, yeah, they starting to sound like you too." Yeah, the, the the one the previous one is a bit mad, and then the last one is even more mad. They've even got a song called "Will of the People" that sounds like they're covering. Um, Oh, uh, what's the song by He Should Not Be Named? Oh, Beautiful People. <laughs> yes. Okay. It sounds like that. It just sounds like a cover of that. It's like the will of the people, the will of the people. It's like, what What are you doing? Is it relative to the size of their steeple? Um, I don't know. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, also, just quick, quick note. I need to uh, make a correction, actually. I think a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about Foo Fighters, I put... Um, I, I said, hang on, didn't they do an album uh, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb? That is a U2 album. I think I was th- just thinking of Fading Light because it has an atomic bomb on the front. That's why. There we go. Oh. Yeah. I, I, I needed to get that off my dress so people might think I was listening to U2, which is the greatest sin of all kind, of all time. No one likes U2, but they, they somehow have sell records. I don't understand it. You you will never meet you will never meet a human being who likes you too. I think the people who like you too are, <laughs> are not the people who comment on music. Like I said, no human being will like you too. Anyway, finally, let's let's take a look at the singles. Uh, so we've got oh my god, second uh, of October to ninth of October, we have by Eiffel sixty five blue. Dabadi, yeah. which is yes, it's that one. Yes, everyone knows that one. Video is all right because they they play because they, that the the opening scenes of that take place at just before the turn millennium, and they are playing that song is on. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Oh. I not remember that. Uh, we've also got uh, between sixteenth of October and twenty third of October, "Genie in a Bottle" by Christina Aguilera. Yeah, banger. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good song. Uh, and then thirtieth uh, of the week, thirtieth of October, uh, we've got "Flying Without Wings" by Westlife. A theory they failed to test. Mm. 
<laughs> I mean, <laughs> launching themselves off a of high building. Okay. Funnily enough, this is probably not a huge surprise. A lot of Westlife songs get um, uh, covered by country and Western artists. Right. And you could, like, if you were to think about it, if you think about this song for a second, you can absolutely see why. Yep. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the album charts. Hold on, sorry. <coughs> In terms of the album charts, we've got Rhythm and Stealth by Leftfield. Who I saw a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I'd, really? I'd be interested to know what's on this album at some point. Um, I, I remember liking Leftfield. They were kind of in that same sort of vibe as Chemical Brothers and Aphex yeah. Twin for me. Yeah, I think, well, I saw them just for Aphex Twin and I preferred Aphex Twin. I thought um, yeah. sort of run out of a bit of, it was a bit of like, you know, maybe need to change up things a bit. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think this would yeah it must be that big album. Didn't realize they were uh, big enough to get to a UK number one. Oh yeah, yeah, they would have been about this time. Yeah. Um. Then ninth of October, we got Reload by Tom Jones, which I remember this album because it's an album where he, I believe, he um partners up with a load of other people. Yeah. But the but the big song on this that people remember is Sex Bomb. Yeah. Heard that on the radio the other day. Yep. Sex bomb, sex bomb. You might need to explain what a radio is to the younger listeners. <laughs> um, Google it. Uh, there's there's then... a Rammstein song, just listen to that, tell you. <laughs> what, sex bomb? Is it the no, same Rammstein. song? <laughs> a radio by Rammstein. Right, okay. Why likes the radio? <laughs> okay. Um, Why do Rammstein are from the West Country? Maybe they are. No, um... Oh, now I've got to explain what I was doing. Sorry. Um, that was my impression of Burke from the oh, trap door okay. from the episode The Radio. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Ooh, I like the radio. Okay. I mean... Burke, Burke, it's making that noise again, Burke. Jesus Christ. Uh, now we have to now we have to explain what trapdoor is, and I don't think we've got time. Nah, fuck it. No. Let's look it up. No. <laughs> 16th of October to 30th of October, however... We have Come On Over by Shania Twain. This was a very popular album, I remember hearing. Um... Well, a song which did impress us much. Didn't, no. Yes, it did. It was a good song. Yeah, it was actually it was a good, song. good song. Everyone likes that song. Yeah. I mean, come on, give me a break. Hi, I'm Khan, and I love stories. I especially love to dig into the historical roots that shape our favourite stories, books, films, TV shows, music, and more. Each week we'll take a deep dive into a significant historical event and examine its impact on the media and popular culture of the time, as well as all the ways in which it continues to shape our entertainment today. So, whether you're a history buff, a pop culture fanatic, or simply curious about the world around you, join us as we dig up, unpack and examine the origins of the stories that have shaped us. Welcome to Culture Chronicles. Available wherever you get your pods. Okay, right. So, moving on to films. Kev, why don't you take us through your film pick for the week? Well, when I when I looked at the list initially, I couldn't find this film, and then Hodge put it as honourable mention. Is like, well, I have to pick this film. Yeah, it's a. It's <laughs> because in the UK, I think it was later, but in America, it was released in October. Is Fight Club, which. I think is good enough to say it's a it's a classic film. 
Yes, well, it is. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's yeah, one of those definitely. that gets you know the whole rule rule one of Fight Club. We don't talk about Fight Club rule two. We don't. You know, it's it's so like ingrained in the culture in some respects. Um, it's a great film. Um, the you know the cast: Brad Pitt, Edward Norton are great. Meatloaf has a starring role. Yep. Um, as as a man with breasts. Yeah. It problem is you can't really um, talk too much about it without mentioning the twist at the end, which is very yeah. well done. Uh, much much better than the sort of the M Night Shyamalan twists around the time. In that you, you know, you, you could pop, you could probably pick it up, but if you haven't, it's like, oh yeah, this makes sense. The way everyone interacts with Edward Norton's character yeah. is is like, yeah, this makes sense. I think the thing is, I think other things have stolen this twist in the, in oh, since yeah. then. Yeah. yeah, it's quite yeah, it's quite. But uh, I, I think it's one of the things I always remember is the opening sequence where he's sort of describing his life and everything as like an insurance uh, guy who, you know, checks mm. checks on accidents and if you know it's how many deaths is it going to cause mm. and is it worth th- fixing basically, you know th- <laughs> those sort of things which is uh, which is really you know. Uh, dark. So yeah, yeah. Um, this is a great film. If you haven't seen it, you absolutely, you know, need to. Yeah. Couple of interesting facts here, fan about this, which I didn't know. So the you know it's based on a book by Chuck Palahniuk. Palahniuk. I can't pronounce his surname. Yep. Yeah. Palahniuk. Let's let's gonna call him Chuck. So um, first of all, he thought the film was an improvement on his novel, which is nice. Oh, that that's cool. Um, think, you know. It does annoy you when... Rarely goes that way. Yeah. <laughs> and um, apparently he came up with the idea for novel after he complained some nearby campers about the noise from their radio and they beat him up. And when he went back to work, he was fascinated that nobody would mention or acknowledge any of his injuries. Instead, just saying common things like, how was your weekend? <laughs> yeah. Well, <that> was... <laughs> yeah, because there is that scene where like he's in work and he's just like... Bruised as any yeah. face. Yeah. And I was like, all right, what? Yeah. And there's a um there's a short scene where Brad Pitt and Edward Norton are drunk and hitting golf balls. And in that scene, they really are drunk and they're smacking golf balls into the side of the catering truck. <laughs> <laughs> and on the DVD, which I've not got, um, there's immediately after a copyright warning. There then flashes up a warning in a similar style from Tyler Durden. Right. Oh, cool. Which, yeah, I like stuff like that. Yeah. That's why it'll be sad to see physical media go. Indeed. Well, won't be. Might not be films for a bit unless they sort of strike. So, um, yeah. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, nothing to put on physical media. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is. And again, I just apparently it was a box office failure. Like it didn't. Do what it needed to do. Oh, really? Yeah, um, it was it was one of those that became popular through word of mouth. Yeah, I think it's you know when it's like well, I think in, in so we don't have it as much because it think films go on the cinema for like three weeks and then go on to streaming now. Um, yeah, which I, I think maybe is something to look at because apparently the, like the latest Pixar film, which was sort of shut out in the middle of summer, in between like Indiana Jones and loads and like other films little mermaid yeah yeah it's like well we're just releasing loads of films um at this point and then apparently when it's gone on disney plus it's done really well 
Yeah. The oh. thing is, though, that film wasn't particularly well reviewed either, so that didn't help it at the cinema. And I, I, it's kind of almost unfair thing to go. Well, something did badly at cinema, but it did well on streaming when it's on a service that most people, a lot of people, have got. I mean, it's like, well, of course, it did well. It's a relatively new film on a streaming channel, largely targeted at youngsters who, of course, are going to watch it. That said, have you watched Elemental? No. It's, yeah, I did, I watched it the other weekend. It's it's pretty good. I mean, some of the complaints are justified. Like, the water dude thinks the fire woman is, like, the best thing in the world. And it's for, it's just for plot reasons. She hasn't really done anything to justify him feeling like that. Right, okay. But it's, it's yeah, it's a good little thought. But we, d- we don't have this thing anymore about um, a cult thing. Like, there's lots of examples about yeah. films like Shawshank Redemption, Box Office Bomb, becomes one of the most beloved films of all time. Um, it, it yeah. Just, you know, I think things... A, there's probably too much, and then things don't... It, because things go to streaming so so quickly, I think people don't even bother to go see them in the cinema. And then yeah. like, people have already made their minds up based on some reviews. Nothing has the chance to breathe. Whereas I imagine with this, people are like, oh, I'll give that a go. It's Brad Pitt, Brad Pitt film when it's on, you know, when you have video rentals. Oh, this is great. I recommend it to other people. You know, that, that kind of word of mouth thing just doesn't happen anymore. Something's either, like, something's either an initial hit, like a Netflix over a weekend, or that's it yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you're right i think there's also that thing of um nuance being lost because something's either the best thing ever or it's crap yeah um so i i, I just just to let you know because i i thought you'd picked yours over a lot of other things kev because i thought you were going for a, a horror angle so i um, picked i'll, a, I'll a mention horror... i'll mention the film <laughs> like, yeah well but, the problem um, is like the film I picked is, is in some respects utter trash. But yeah, yeah. Then I saw this. It's like, oh my god, this is great. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, so I thought, oh, oh yeah, we were doing a October spooky thing. Yeah. So I picked it. But I'm going to go back to my original. There choice weren't now. many spooky films actually. No, out, not, the, not out this month, not, which is weird. No. Yeah. But um, okay. So so my pick for this week is uh, Princess Mononoke. Hey. Which uh, got a uh, it, one of the first Studio Ghibli films to get an international release. Um, I know, like My Neighbor Totoro had been about, but it didn't get a cinema release. It kind of ended up on DVD and on TV and stuff like that. Uh, but Princess Mononoke was pretty much um, basically. Uh, Disney people, it wasn't quite. It was sort of in partnership with them. They sort of went, well, well, let's take it to this to the US. And we'll get some, you know, big voices in those times. So you had like Gillian Anderson's in it when she was like, this is when she was incredibly popular. Um, when isn't Gillian uh, Anderson incredibly popular? Well, uh, I would say between the years of 2000 and 2010, where she just disappeared. But that's not her fault. She didn't do anything. I've got to make that clear. Um, have either of you <laughs> seen this film, I should ask? No. Right. It's brilliant. It's really, really good. Um, it's effectively a uh, fantasy version of feudal Japan, and uh, a young boy is um, attacked by a boar demon, and he has to go try and find a cure. And uh, in finding a cure, he finds that the um, uh, this this princess, who is basically raised by wolves, who is Mononoke and everything like this, um, a lot of the style of this film. If you've played Breath of the Wild, you'll go, hmm, this seems familiar. And that is like, 
yeah, Breath, Breath of the Wild took a lot from this film's sort of art direction, which is like it's lovely, basically. Um, you know, the the colors are incredibly vibrant. It's got a great story. It's this whole thing of an industrial um, and a, a society that's starting to become industrialized, bumping up against uh, the natural world and the spirit world as well. Mm. Uh, it, it's it's really really good. It's uh, I mean, it's a Studio Ghibli film, but I think some of those Studio Ghibli films are a bit like, well, okay then. I mean, you know, um, mm. Ponyo rings to mind. It's like, yeah, that's that's great. That happened. Um, whereas this this is brilliant. This is absolutely fantastic. Um, genuinely, uh, it, it's it's sort of, you know, uh, it's a sort of film that once you've watched it once or twice, it sticks with you forever. Like. Things like the boar demon being overcome and, you know, charging through and everything. And it starts off as this unknowable, worm-ridden sort of mass of tendrils. And then you see that there is uh, a, a, a god, basically, in there in pain. And it's like, whoa, that is that is some cool shit. Um, yeah. And, and, and It's on Netflix, so I'll yeah, watch it. Give it Netflix. a watch. Yeah. Give it a watch, Hodge, and you'll go, oh, yeah, that's Breath of the Wild took that. <laughs> and they'll like like a lot uh, of of things like that. In fact, actually, I'm thinking about it. One of the things is in the film, his arm gets infected with like demon power, and I'm just re- <laughs> I've just realised I've been playing a bit more of Tears of the Kingdom recently, actually, as well. Um, and yeah, that's that's a thing. <laughs> that's the thing that happens. I mean, he's not using magnesis and shit, but still, you know. Um, <laughs> no, it's it's brilliant. It's a really really good film. It's probably. Uh, it's probably you know one of the best Studio Ghibli films, um, and it's it's probably the probably reason why a lot I don't think as many people have seen it is because it's slightly above you know My Neighbor Totoro or something like that in terms of violence. It's got like Lord of the Rings level of violence if you see what I mean. People get their heads cut yeah. off and stuff like that. So, but yeah, well worth a watch if you've never seen it. Um, the dub is pretty good uh, if you can watch it in subtitles that's better but yeah i would say either way it's a really good way of watching it so there we go yeah cool uh hodge what is your pick my pick is three kings yes um which is a great film starring um who's got in it again it's got in uh george clooney mark Wahlberg, ice cube and spike jones yep and it's is um so it's immediately after Gulf War, it's a group of American soldiers who come across a map to Iraqi treasure, um stolen treasure from Kuwait. And they think, aha, we're gonna go take that and keep it for ourselves. And they arrive and discover that you know the Iraqi army is more worried about torturing its own citizens than stopping them getting the gold. Yeah. And that they also learn that the US has been encouraging the civilians to stand up to them. Um but they're not gonna help them. Yeah. And they're facing certain execution. So they have to decide whether they're going to make a runner with the gold or help the civilians um, across the border into Iran. Yeah. And it's really good. And the reason I know it's really good is because I don't generally like war films, but this one's stuck with me. Yeah, because this one... In that I remember seeing it it's not, it's not, even now. It's so... one of those. It's, it is a war film, but it's kind of like a film set in a war rather than a war film. See what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that's... The, yeah. But, I mean, war settings generally yeah. don't normally intrigue me. Mm. So if, so they have to be something a bit more to, like, stand out. It... Like, we'll get to it one day, but 
I'm still angry about the thin red line. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh god, the thin red line. That, that film. <laughs> that film is pretentious. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll get to the thin red line one day, but. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I, I think I had this on DVD. Um, maybe when we lived yes, together. Yes, you did. Yeah. And you did, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember this being great. It feels more like a, I don't know, like a heist or an adventure movie or something more than a war film. But I do think it does do a really good job of, of um, you know, uh, like that boredom sort of thing that was experienced by soldiers in Iraq, where it's like, we're just here. Yeah. We're not doing anything. We just we're just here. We're just here to be here. Yeah. Like the one time one of them shoots someone is like a big event. <laughs> like yeah. yeah. Um and you know, there are some really cool moments like where um um George Clooney is describing how a bullet enters you and starts oh, yeah. causing an infection and stuff like that. Mm. And yeah, that that sort of whole shot. But... The torture scene yeah. I quite well as well, with yeah, the sponges yeah. in the water. And also it's like one of the few films, well, it's probably not true now, but at the time it seemed it was unusual to see here see soldiers not depicted as paragons of virtue. Yes, there to uphold the American way, they were like scuzzbags, really. These guys. Yeah. Well, we were in. Yeah, there was a I think there was a thing about the nineties where the I think um, Simpsons podcast we both listened to and commented on like in the nineties the armed forces were treated as a bit of a joke. Because it's like yeah. close to this end yeah. of history idea, and that like, oh well, we don't need an army anymore. Just they're just silly, and um, so you get a lot of sort of the the soldiers are treated a lot differently at this point for these few years, um, which you know, obviously, once nine eleven happens, it completely changes again. Yeah, um, yeah, you get the whole thank you for your service sort of thing start cropping up. Yeah, or you go in like, um, oh, what's the bomb disposal film? Where it's oh um oh hurt locker hurt locker where it's like well, about it. post traumatic stress it's you know it's very very realistic and sort of goes the mm. like, you know it's very different vibe to what what was in the late nineties with soldiers the 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 soldiers who are treated as um, treated with respect are World War Two soldiers at this point aren't they the, yeah yeah so I think it was this and Jarhead Jarhead came out a couple of years after this and they they both had that same sort of thing of like. They're just there, like they were just they were just kids, sort of taken out there and and everything, and that's been borne out a little bit by um mm. by history. Um, but I think I, I really I agree. I really like this film. I I potentially uh I've I've mentioned before Battlefield Bad Company. Yeah, Battlefield Bad Company is Three Kings, the video game, basically. Yeah, it's like there's a whole thing of stealing gold. Like even the multiplayer maps was to steal gold and stuff like that. Which was uh, which was kind of funny in the original Bad Company game, but yeah, this <laughs> really really good film. Um, in terms of honourable mentions, Kev, you had one. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, do you two know uh, the Troma films? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's this film called Terra Firma, which is a bit like as postmodern as Troma films can get, in that right. it takes place. It's a film about a serial killer taking place on the film, uh, the filming of a toxic crusader film. Oh right, okay. With right. all the characters from previous trauma films, well, not all of them because like there's there's a couple, but like some of the characters from previous trauma films are just hanging around the studio, like Sergeant Kabuki Man and right. um, characters like that. The, the <laughs> film is, I, I, I think, <laughs> watch it be modernised, everyone would hate it. It's horrible. 
Um, also, like Ron Jeremy's in it, so I don't think you'd even be able to watch it now. Um, but it's it's not allowed. Yeah, it's just <laughs> it's just one of those films. Like this is one of the. I mean, it's a yeah. I without boiling parts of it, the serial killer's hermaphrodite. It's just things like that. It's horrible, right? Um, it's... But the tone of the studio, which is just out there to make <laughs> offensive trash. Um, yes, it's. It just has its own little charm in some respects, and the like. It is over the top. Like there's a there's a character called Todster who's like high all the time, and like every time he says his name, like a guitar lick comes and says Todster, and <laughs> like he's killed by the serial killer who lops off, like gets him really high, and then lops off a bit of his brain and starts frying it up. Okay. Like what? What is this? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I. I just it's it's mad. They they had a they had a run on Channel Four about six months after this or, or a year where they showed loads of the trauma films. And like, what why why did these exist? <laughs> is it is it one of the trauma films where there's like a weird like monster with a penis nose? Possibly. It Probably. Or is that a horror another horror film? Um, uh, that sounds like a trauma yeah. film thing to do. I, I don't really want to search penis nose monster on any of my devices, no. to be honest. Not twice so in the same way, no. <laughs> um, yeah, and there's a there's a sting at the end of this film where Matt and Trey Parker are doing a, an advert narrated by Lemmy about. <laughs> oh yeah, because they got their they got their start yeah, in Trauma. Start in Trauma, yeah. <laughs> Cannibal the Musical, which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, Le- Lemmy's in a few of their films, the Trauma films, for some reason. Yeah, I. <laughs> I, th- I think there's a, a place for trauma films because yeah. I think there's a place for just disgusting trash. Yeah, that it, you it can is. Laugh it at. is. Yeah, don't don't go in. Yeah, if, if you're someone who is easily offended, don't yeah. watch this. But I think if you can see it for what it is, you you, you it, could say to like you could say to the people who worked on trauma, this shouldn't exist and is disgraceful, and they would gleefully yeah. go, yes, yes, <laughs> like I, you know that is it's that's one of the those, intended effect. It's it's offensive to everyone. It's what it is. Yeah. Like it's that kind of. It's not like oh we're punching down on certain things. It's like no, we are offensive to every single type of people. Yeah. So yeah, yes, cool. And you there picked a different one, didn't you? Uh, I did. Uh, I was originally going to pick House on Haunted Hill, uh, which is the 1999 remake of the 1959 um, classic B-movie. Uh, it's it's not great. Um, it's got some interesting ideas. The original uh, 1959 film was basically like, the house isn't actually haunted, it's all pretend, and they like there's people trying to backstab each other. And then the 1999 version... Um, kind of spins that on its head because they start off with that sort of premise and then oh no oops real ghosts um can i um tell you what our friends over at movie guide thought about oh, the house on haunted hill oh of course you can we this will be our first movie guide for the evening remakes are not always unwarranted they don't have to be worse than the original but too many filmmakers merely believe that throwing new technological image-making capabilities into a movie will make it appealing to modern audiences. They forget that the attitude and fun of the original must be maintained. Disney's recent Tarzan, 
bought new images and kept the spirit in front of the originals. The house on Haunted Hill had no press screening, a sign usually meaning that the filmmakers and distributors don't believe it had the ability to generate a good buzz. They were right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, it's, It's a shame because there are some, like, one thing I would say, there are some cool visuals in this, like... But that you can sort of tell, but they look like there's bits where it looks like a tool video. There's a really cool bit where one of the ghosts moves in. He's a human, you know what I mean? He's a full human, but they've done him so he looks like he's moving in stop motion, which is actually really eerie. Um, and then, yeah. and there's a cool bit where a girl sort of looks and there's no one. Then she looks through her camera and there's like an operation going on. And then all the people in the operation stop and look at her. It's like, oh, actually, that's quite like it's got cool ideas, mm. but yeah, it's it doesn't stick any of them because the cast aren't very good. It's you know, it's not actually very frightening. The special effects are a bit crap. So, yeah, it's I remember actually really liking it and finding it really scary, like at the time. And I I went back and watched it like for this. I was like, oh no, this is just terrible. This is this is <laughs> utter crap. <laughs> yeah, here we go. So. TV! Um, Hodge, you going to take us through the TV news? 2nd of October. Um, the Mirror reports that a recent Coronation Street storyline involving the death of the character Judy Mallet has helped to save the life of a woman who sought medical help after watching an episode in which Judy died of a blood clot in her leg following a car crash. The unnamed woman had recently been involved in a motoring accident herself and was experiencing leg pain that she had attributed to bruising. She subsequently attended hospital where doctors diagnosed the blood clots wow. and she was saved. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, 27th October, BBC Two airs the 150th edition of Top of the Pops 2. I don't think I remember Top of the Pops 2, but it was like a compilation show made up from old bits of Top of the Pops. Yeah. It was like a weird, thing, it weird milestones. Like, oh, here's a the hundred fiftieth episode of something that's clipped together bits of another thing. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yeah, hundred fifty episodes of our Frankenstein pop show. Twenty yeah. second <laughs> um, of October, Sonic Underground finished. Oh dear! Have you ever seen Sonic Underground? No. Uh, no. Okay, it went, it went on for forty episodes, and arguably that was forty episodes too many. So it's um. It's got a weird conceit whereby uh, Sonic has two siblings, Sonia and Manic, and they're collectively part of a royal family who are forced to separate from their mother. That's right. I think and... I think they've recently been brought back by IDW, who now do the Sonic comics. They um, it's one where they are, they they have guitars and it's all yeah yeah. I'm, I'm, I know all, what you're saying, um, but they brought those awful. two characters back. Well, they probably have done it in an all right way, though. But back at the time, though, like they all had guitars, and there was lots of like playing it. It was all very bad. Yeah. In fact, Patrick Lee of the AV Club um, called it one of the most artistic failures to ever end up on television, and the result of several unrelated ideas forcibly squashed into one project. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so it was bad. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And. On the 29th of October, a racism storyline in Brookside reaches a dramatic conclusion when a thug is shown being engulfed in flames as his attempts to petrol bomb the house of a black family goes wrong. I think they needed to add on goes wrong at the end there because <laughs> it obviously wasn't what he intended to happen. Good. My plan has gone off without a hitch. That was his dialogue. <laughs> this isn't what I intended to happen. Ah! 
This has gone wrong. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> That's it for the TV news. Okay, so what was your TV pick, Hodge? My TV pick is Walking with Dinosaurs. Ah. Which was, at the time, unlike anything that had come before it. Um, so it was a six-part documentary series with the conceit being that um, it followed paleontologists piecing together what were what creating a documentary about dinosaurs as if it was really happening yeah which is something we'd kind of called i think our friendship group had said should have happened for years following jurassic park they should have used the Fran- jurassic park franchise to like make a documentary series yeah. based on isle sauna yeah. about what was what it was like after the humans left and they kind of did that but they backed it up with science so um Scientists like applauded it for its use of scientific research and for portraying dinosaurs as animals and not just movie monsters. Like they never fall into that trap of anthropomorphizing them or trying to make them villains. It's just this is what this animal would do. And fair enough, since this was created, like our idea of what dinosaurs look like has changed. So like you know you won't find them with feathers on or anything in in this series, but it's yeah. pretty scientifically accurate for what we knew. It was also the most watched science program in British television history. So by I haven't got more up to date numbers, but by two thousand nine, it had been viewed by around seven hundred million people, which was unprecedented for a paleontology program. Yeah, that's quite a lot of million people. Yeah, and it was also you can you can see how this has led to all sorts of other documentaries based around this kind of idea of things that aren't really there. Like yeah. we've got, we had Walking with Beasts, didn't we? And we had like an underwater one as well. And um, Netflix has got its Alien Life one, which is a very similar idea. Mm. Apple's got its own dinosaur one now. Oh, what the? What's the Alien Life one then? Is it? Is it? Ah, oh, Netflix is. I've not watched it. Um, it's on my. <laughs> it's on my to watch list. I'll I'll find it in a minute when I'm when I'm not talking about this. And the um, it also. Was the forebearer at Walking with Dinosaurs stage show, which yeah. we went to, Kev, didn't we, with one of our friends and his son? I, I've been twice because I, yeah, we went. We went. We've been since, haven't yeah, you, with your took, son? Took my son, so yeah, um, yeah, it's really good. It There's, was, it, it's, it, you know, it's the type of thing the BBC should be making. It's, yeah, and it holds up pretty well. The CG in it, really, it's not, it's not like, yeah, it holds up well. It's, you know, it's something that it's not a pure commercial value. But obviously, it has done very no. well commercially. But it's you know, ITV, yeah. ITV are going to make this. You know, no, seems like Netflix, but not not everyone's going to make this. BBC takes a chance for making it because you know it does fulfil the public broadcasting sphere, and uh, if it's proved to be really popular, uh, and you've also got to have enough money to throw behind something like that to make it worth doing. You can't cheap out on yeah. that. It looks crap. Well, the, the thing is, where the, this was the the BBC at the time, whereas now they're sort of under the oh, it's got to be like. People have to watch it, and it's got to be in the you know, like, well, no, let people make, let them make what they want to make, and people will probably watch it anyway because you know, people behind these things know what know that things can be yeah. good. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So, um, what I was thinking of on Netflix is it's a four episode series called Alien Worlds, and it's um, apply the laws of life on oh, Earth wow. to the rest of the galaxy. This series blends science, fact, and fiction to imagine alien life on other planets. Yeah, that's see, I I prefer book. You know, that's that's just speculation, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's like it's basically like do like a documentary on Pandora, yeah. but it's not. 
it's not an uninteresting idea. It's not as interesting as you know walking with dinosaurs, but it's a it's a neat idea. I think has some legs. I will get around to watching it at some point. Cool. So uh, my pick was not a, a neat idea, and it didn't have any legs. Uh, it was Spider Man Unlimited. <laughs> um, this was the bizarre follow up to the Spider Man animated series, where. Um, the Spider-Man animated series kind of ended on a cliffhanger of, oh, he was going to go find Mary Jane, and then uh, instead of that, we got Spider-Man Unlimited, where he has a suit with nano technology in it, and he flies in a spaceship to alter Earth, where Carnage and Venom are friends, and they look weird. <laughs> it's um, it's a bad series. It's not. It's a very bad series. This was also, I believe, hot on the heels of um, uh, Batman of the Future. Batman Beyond, yeah. which had just no, <laughs> yeah, which had just launched. So they decided, oh, what, what if we gave Spider Man a cyberpunk makeover? And then what they should have said was no, but what instead they did was made like thirty episodes of it, and it's just nah, it's not good. That's <laughs> um... gonna say this is one of the first things I watched on Disney Plus because I've never seen it before. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking now an image of Venom and Carnage, and Jesus. Fucking Christ, that carnage design! I'm gonna I'm gonna post this on our Twitter now because it is unbelievably bad. Yeah, um, th- there's also bits where Venom and Carnage just hang out in a flat together, like Beavis and Butthead, <laughs> and watch TV. Like now that I would watch, I'd watch a series based around that. Yeah, well, I mean, they're also you know they're just interchangeable. One's red and one's black, basically. That's it. They're not like they're not like oh I hate you, I hate you sort of thing. It's just yeah, like that. Um, isn't, isn't I think that, the, the... Um, sorry, just to interrupt. The villain, the main villain, this is the yes. high evolutionary, and he yes, goes to the is. planet of like manimals, where it's all yes. It's, it's, so basically, it's this has been used in Guardians of Galaxy Three, which is hundred um, percent. Yeah, but they do that thing where, like, in in in, they also do that really silly thing where in this, right? What it is is. There's uh, an alternate Earth, and the reason we don't know it's there is because it's in exactly the same orbit as us. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, one of them. Which, of course, we would have no way of knowing, except, of course, we have hundreds of ways of knowing that we'd be able to sort that out, (laughs) you know. Um, But, you know, but for the sake of it. So, yeah, it's basically that. Um, And, uh, you know, humans are oppressed, and the mutant animal people, I can't remember what they're called in it, are like raised up because they are uh, children of the high evolutionary um it's not it's just bad it's just not like it's not very good it's like every sort of misstep you can do in one of these shows it does it's like well where are the classic spider-man villains oh they're not around okay where are you know where is this it's not there where, where are the supporting cast they're not really there okay so is this you know like I would say you compare this with Batman Beyond. Batman Beyond did a great job of setting up, you know, a new Batman in a new environment with his own villains, as well as paying like homage to the sort of classic Batman stuff. Whereas this is just kind of like everything's new now. Okay, um, it's, <laughs> is it better new or just new? It's new. <laughs> okay, right. Okay, um, it, it's just it's just not. It's bad. It's just bad. There we go. So that was my pick. And I wanted to go uh, into that, bef- like get that sort of done and sorted really quick, so that Kev, you have enough time to talk about your pick. 
for the for the yeah. Big... I think if um if we were on the old format, I would have just maybe said the first season of this. Um, but we're in the new format. So I'm going to talk about Angel. So um, have you as you know, I've banged on about Buffy quite a lot all the time. But this is the uh spinoff uh following the vampire with the soul angel um follow he leaves buffy then the season three um this series went for five years i really love the series like not the same extent as love buffy i think some seasons are on a par with but buffy as it was then some seasons not so much but um yeah this show went in some interesting places and like seasons two most of three and five are, are really good uh Cordelia came across uh, to join the cast. Uh, it had a bit of an awkward start because they, the, the tone was a bit different at the start. It was sort of the, the angel as a detective. Yeah, they um, wanted to do like a film noir type thing, and yeah. I, I think the, the, I think even the second episode, the second proper episode, I remember having very much that sort of classic film noir femme fatale type. Uh, you know. Yeah, so the, that's Kate, who's a who was an undercover cop. But yeah, they're they're in nightclubs where there's this horrible parasite demon that uh, transfers via sex and then kills yeah. the yeah um, yeah they so they the the original third character was Doyle, who was a part demon who had visions from the powers that be. Yeah, uh, but apparently he had. Uh, substance abuse issues and sort of clashed with David Boreanaz. Uh, so he was written out quite quickly um, in a really good episode where they killed him off um, with a group of like Nazi demons who went around purifying oh. demons. It was, it was a good episode. But yeah, I think um, the the, be- the best season, season, well, the better season, season two is where they bring Darla back, who was Angel's sire. And they sort of like, there's, there's a law firm in Los Angeles, which is basically run by, um, you you never quite find out. It was basically a demonic law firm. It was yeah. referred to the senior partners, and you never really see them, um, who are like greasing the wheels of the apocalypse. Um, and they go into it further in the season where actually they're just allowing humanity to destroy the world itself. They're the ones that are, like making sure that humans are the worst to each other, so that the the world is ready for um, ready for the the dark times. Um, but yeah, this this law firm spends an entire series basically messing with Angel mm. to the point he cuts himself off from his support group and just doesn't quite go evil, but goes like very dark and is just obsessed with destroying the law firm as much as possible. Um, yeah, uh, season five is also very good in that uh, Angel and Team Angel go and work, run that law firm. Yes, um, yeah, I, I think you can make a claim that's probably the best. That's possibly the best season. It's, it's a very cool concept that I think other things do do later on. Uh, Nikita did it as well, um, where you're you're working, you're kind of like you're trying to change the evil organization from within by running it, mm-hmm. and you can never quite do that, yeah. and it um, it instantly compromises you. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I I think Angel was great i don't i think sometimes the it didn't quite nail the season finales like when uh buffy season five is happening which is one of my favorite season finales of all time they go on this like weird adventure to lawn's home home dimension yeah um, which is like it's just sort of like a bit of a jaunty like a bit like a star trek episode where they go they get trapped in a medieval 
world. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. Yes, and they find. I think they find one of the other supporting characters, don't they? Just like, yeah, Brad stuck yeah. there. Yeah, Brad, who's a great character. I mean, Lorne's a great character. He's a, he's a demon who um, can tell your future by you singing karaoke songs or singing songs. Yeah, <laughs> really well acted. Andy Hallett's great in that. Um, yeah, Fred, who played Amy Acker, who ends up in a lot of Joss Whedon stuff after. Um, she's really great. Um, the, I mean, probably the breakout. I could pretend say breakout character. Say Wesley's the breakout character in that he was a very one note joke on Buffy. Yes, it's like this useless watcher who's like posh. And by the end of season five, the character progression he's gone from. For what he is, he, you know, he's completely different, and it's all yeah. it all makes sense. Yeah. Um, sort of the black mark, obviously, is the way the Joss Whedon treated Cordelia. And I'm yeah. Just, I'm just going through mm. season yeah. four at the moment, which oh, it does ruin it. The fact that they decided, I don't know what the original plan for season four was, um, because the like Cordelia becomes gets sent up to become a power that bees and then return. Um, and you find out later in the season that she has, she's not Cordelia. She's this thing that wants, has used Cordelia going up to this heavenly plane to come back down and to basically enslave Earth, to make it what this creature decides is a paradise. Um, right, yes. And I think yeah, okay. originally it must, the plan must have been that Cordelia was going to be the villain and it would have been about, you know, getting this thing out of Cordelia and saving Cordelia. Where instead they do the pregnancy storyline, which means the icky thing about Angel's son sleeping with Cordelia, which is just yeah, never, that was... never. And they 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 do the thing mm. where it's like they don't they only reveal that Cordelia is not Cordelia sort of five episodes later. So people have to stew with that. It's like this is horrible. Yeah, it's yeah, it was it was really uncomfortable and unpleasant. Yeah, and they even act it like she she immediately acts as though she regrets it. And it's like, well, if she, you know, she does the the thing that's infected her has done this to get the baby. Yeah. So like. Wouldn't she continue to influence him to? Oh, I don't know. It's it's just it, it compromises the season massively. Obviously, it's horrible for Charisma Carpenter, but um, yeah, the season that follows it was really good with season five, and it got cancelled probably be- slightly before its time. Um, the ending episode is quite telling, and it's a they you know they in a no win fight situation and just ends there. Um, oh, okay, yeah, it's a bit like it, the end of Blackadder goes forth. Yeah, it, it is a bit like that in that they. They find out that the there's this called the Circle of the Black Thorn, who are this group that are always influencing humanity towards the apocalypse. And they say, "Well, we can't can, we can't defeat them for good, but for one shining moment, we just can show that they don't own us." Um, they go to take them out, and the punishment is that the you know the the senior partners will from the heart unleash hell on earth to attack them. Right. Like, yeah, you see uh, the wounded Team Angel at the end, just like well can't fight what they're going to fight. They are going to die. Yeah. But they're, they're going to still fight it anyway. Which was at the time I was... And you don't see what happens as a result of that? Sorry? And you never see what happens as a result? Or... Uh, they do follow up in the comics, but obviously that's whether you decide that's canon or not. Yeah. Um, but the, the way the TV show ends is basically you assume they're all killed. Yeah. Which I was, right, I, was okay. gutted about, I was gutted about at the time as well as the cancellation, but you know, it kind of makes sense with the theme of the show. It was never about. Yeah. It was never about a happy ending. It was never. It was always about. We've just got to fight and got to save as many people as we can. Angel, Angel could only end the character one way, I suppose. Well, there, there's there was a 
prophecy throughout the season, with, uh, throughout the series, that he would become human. It would be his reward was to become a human. Oh, yeah. Uh, he was yeah, going to, you know, the Shamshu prophecy that he was, obviously it's mudded a bit because at Buffy, there's also another spot, there's also another vampire with a soul who spike in that he joins Angel uh, later on. So that, that mudded it a bit. But yeah, there was always that like, oh, you'll save the world and you're, you're rewarded yeah. to become a human. Whereas he does save the world at the end of series four and the reward is you get to be in charge of a horrible law firm that's trying to destroy the world. That guy's like, that's <laughs> yeah. my that's my reward. It's like they lack of belief in the powers that be. It's um yeah. Um really great TV show. Again, it's not as good as, I, I don't think it's as good as Buffy, but it's it's good. It has some really high moments. And I think there are some really great episodes. Yeah, I think there's a, a few a few like I, I quite enjoyed Angel for I was. I think again I fell off at about the time where it was a bit like what do we do with Cordelia? Like they started make, giving her visions and stuff like that. Well, she then... no, she has visions from I think it's episode ten. So yeah, uh, Doyle Doyle gifts her his visions. Yeah, um, which I, which made sense. I think the the issue with Cordelia is they got annoyed about her pregnancy, or Joss Whedon yeah. did, and didn't. You know, they could have handled it in many different ways and they didn't and it ruined a character that was beloved by pretty much everyone yeah well um it's it's worth knowing that there's apparently there's an audible thing on the way isn't there a, yeah um, so audiobook i don't know how they'll i don't know how they'll bring her back well it's it's set in a um between a couple of the other seasons i think right okay yeah um which is also you can just do it with flashbacks yeah yeah potentially um yeah, that audible thing. A lot of the cast are at this point dead. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Angels on Disney Plus. I'd recommend watching it alongside Buffy. Um, I think season three is better than Buffy season six at the time. Uh, Fortunately, with the writer's strike, hopefully we're going to get to a point where there's a lull of things coming out. I'll have a chance to watch old stuff I never watched. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I watch this type of stuff when I'm trying to sleep because it's stuff I know, so I can just. Um, you know, you don't have to think of oh, I'm, I'm missing something by you know not by watching it. But yeah, yeah, there's there's some great stuff in Angel. I think I think season two and season five are the strongest ones. Cool. So um, Kev saying about I'm able to sleep. This is a bit off topic, but it's um relevant for us. I saw a um a good post on I think it was maybe Twitter, which was um, have you ever played a video game where you have to sleep to recover? And they only let you do it if everything is safe. Otherwise, it won't let you sleep. You get a message saying, you cannot sleep now, there are monsters nearby. Now remember the last time you just couldn't get to sleep. <laughs> okay, that's um, <laughs> that's an interesting concept. I like that. <laughs> oh, that, I think, brings us to an end of our little jaunt through... Uh, October of 1999 our next episode will be another October episode and it will be for October of 2009 so a nice little 10 year gap there for us to get so thing um, it just remains really for me to say I've been Matthew Wynn I've been joined by the wonderful Kevin Jones bye and the marvellous Chris Hodgkinson bye we will see you all very soon thank you very much everyone bye bye Thanks for listening, everybody. If you've enjoyed this, please check out The Culture Chronicles by our friend Khan. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.